Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. People are leaning in on this fast and are getting serious. We had uh, one of the other services, when our prayer partners come up front, this, come, this guy walks up and um, a man recognizes when another man is either about ready to fight or work. Because this guy walks up and he's about ready to pray and he turns his hat around backwards, and then he just starts praying. I was like, that dude's going after it. That dude is getting into it. That's awesome. During our last month, we have been going through a series on, um, is the Bible reliable? How did we get the Bible? A lot of teaching about the Bible and it's reliability. And uh, today we're going to continue that. We're going to look at how to read the Bible. And several times Pastor Roger has mentioned, oh, and it's always roll. I see eye rolls every time he mentions it. The people who read the Bible by themselves and misinterpret the Bible are the ones to start cults. And um, I'm an odd person, I will tell you that. Um, and this summer when we were on vacation in Texas, my sister, we're in Waco, and my sister says, some of you are already putting the cult together with Waco. I can see that right now. And my sister says, do you want to go to the Branch Davidian compound where they killed him? And I was like, yes, I do. That is, that is something that is something I'm interested in. Do we have to pay? And she's like, no, I think it's free. I was like, yes, count me in. So we go to the uh, compound, and it's a uh, concrete block chapel. It's uh, dilapidated. And um, we go inside, and there's some poorly spelled banners on the walls. And uh, the tour guide comes up, and uh, he is... Um, going to take us around. And um, I should share with you, um, he and I almost got into a fight. He has one arm, one leg, one eye. And in in the middle of the tour, he is showing me um, some prophecies on the wall. And my family's milling around, and, and he's showing me the biblical prophecies, and he's explaining how David Koresh felt that he was led by God to um, start this group of, of believers because he is a branch off of the line of David, King David out of the Bible. 
branch Davidians, right? Okay. I'm tracking with him. Okay. And then he goes on to talk about that the Bible's prophecies all point towards America and Texas and David Koresh. And it's at, it's at this point that uh, my eyes are like, they just kind of get big. And um, Gus, my son, is like, oh, I know what's coming. I'm out of here. My sister and her sons uh, leave, and it's just me and Ellen and my wife over here and the tour guide. And I recognize that Ellen has moved around on the backside of this guy in the wheelchair as I am um, talking to him, and I could tell um, this guy is not, and I are not on the same page when it comes to how we understand Scripture. And I just asked a simple question. Who taught these people how to read the Bible? Just a very sensible question. And he I think if he could have gotten out of the wheelchair, he would have attacked me at that point. He points his finger at me and starts repeating this verse. Scripture is of no private interpretation. And um, I, I know how to debate. I have kids. I know how to reason with unreasonable people. And so I say in my best um, Inigo Montoya voice, you, you keep using that verse, but I do not think you know what that verse means. <laughs> that verse does not mean what you think it means. And it's at this point that I realize he is not the tour guide. Oh. He is the prophet who replaced David Koresh <laughs> and has been teaching these people all of these beliefs. Ellen at this point recognizes he is armed and has his pistol between his hip and his wheelchair. And I realize at this point she is ready to knock over the wheelchair and disarm him if he comes after me. She is a defender of the helpless, I will say. Ellen, thank you. Yeah. So, but I escaped him without any harm. Uh, so follow me, folks, online for more fun vacation spots and interesting conversations about the Bible. So today, I want to focus on this. We are looking at how to, dif- uh, how to understand difficult parts of the Bible. And if you've been following our series this month, hopefully you realize that there are some wrong ways to read the Bible. And it can really be disastrous for your faith to believe things about God or yourself that aren't true. David Koresh, good example. Can we all be honest for a minute and admit that although we get our hope from the Bible and through the Bible we learn about God, there's a lot in here that's hard to understand. Let's just be honest. You're among friends. Between the weird cultural issues in the Old Testament, talking animals, magic trees, people walking on water, the sun going backwards in the sky, it doesn't sound like the reality that we live in here. But when you think about it, that's kind of the point. 
There's a better reality that God wants us to live in, and he's given us this book to tell us about it. But as we said, parts of the Bible are not always easy to understand. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to read a passage, Bible passage together, a story that is weird. I've deliberately chosen a tough one, strange story, a story that that I heard Pastor Eddie, we were talking the conversation, and he's like, man, he's like, when that picture of this story comes up in the coloring book, I just want to tear it out. <laughs> the kids start asking questions I don't want to answer. So as we read this story, we're going to go through some interpretation tools to, to uh, help you understand the passage. And our main goal here is to interpret the story, figure out what it means for us here today. Is it good? You want to know what story we're going to go through? It's not the Nephilim. I know some of you wanted that one. We're going to look at the story of when Abraham was called by God to sacrifice his son. So Twyla says, that's a good one. (laughs) Okay, let's go. Let's go to the verse here. Before we start reading, I want to say this. Is there anybody who's, who's read this story before and asked the question, why in the world would God want this in the Bible? It's not good PR for God. It really, it really does not help with his image as a God of love, right? Um, another question that I think a lot of people ask is when they, when they read through this first time is they think, is God going to ask this of me? Pastor Eddie next door said, when the kids hear this story, they think, is God going to make my parents kill me? And I think there are some parents who would willingly give the sacrifice of their child back to God as the one who gave them that child. Let's read the verse here. This is Genesis 22. We're going to read the whole story. So just be patient. We're not reading a verse. We're going to read the whole story. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. and He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Isn't that interesting? Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, and he carried the fire and knife. And the two of them went on together, As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said, Father? Yes, my son. Abraham replied, Fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. And he's starting to get a clue. Something's different about this time of sacrifice. This time of worship is different. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And God answered, Abraham answered, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went on together. 
And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Same, same response as before, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. That's what he named the mountain. Pretty neat story. Pretty crazy story. Well, in the last three weeks, pastor's been really wanting us to get the scripture down inside of us. So we've been doing memory verses. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna do this whole story and we've got it set up here for you. Okay, Clark, are you ready? I know some of you are looking at this and like, that donkey had a bigger role in this story than I thought he did. Uh, before we get into our interpretation toolbox, start looking at this story, let's discuss why we need to interpret. Here's the deal. If we think that we don't need to interpret the Bible, we're going to end up with what I call bumper sticker theology. Can we go to this? You see this? If you have this bumper sticker on your vehicle, I apologize. I will say that I do think bumper stickers are undoubtedly the most effective way to convince others of our beliefs. But this sticker drives me nuts. And here's the problem. It's kind of right. But it's really dangerous at the same time. I saw this sticker on a car here recently and... Um, as you can tell by now, I'm not afraid of talking about, with people about the scriptures. And so I wanted to pull these people over to the side of the road, take them in a coffee shop, buy them a coffee, and ask them some questions about their beliefs in this bumper sticker. I wanted to ask, what if God said it, but he meant something very different? What would we do with that? Remember when Jesus said, rip out your eyeball if it... Leads you to sin? You got two eyes. I don't think you're practicing what your bumper sticker breaches. How do you come to the conclusion that Jesus didn't mean exactly what he said? Oh, you are interpreting. My other issue with this sticker is, is this. What do we do when we read in the Bible that God gives instructions to one man in one place or one group of people at one point in time, and then forbids another group of people to do those same instructions? Do we get to choose which one of those we believe? Which time that God spoke settles it? 
You see the problem with this bumper sticker theology? And, and let's just go ahead and jump into right where it's really uncomfortable. Back in 2019, uh, there was a Connecticut woman sentenced to 120 years in prison for killing her seven-year-old daughter and her eight-year-old son. You know what she said in trial? God told her to do it. So this woman had knowledge about God based on a bad understanding of the scriptures. And whenever we read scriptures wrong or we do a plain reading or face value reading, especially with this story of Abraham, we're going to miss something really important. Think about this. If we take this story and the rest of the Bible at face value, what are some wrong conclusions we can have about God? Let's go to this. Here's some wrong conclusions. One, we can have the idea that God has multiple personalities and we can't trust him to be consistent. He's violent in the Old Testament, demanding bloodshed, an eye for an eye. And in the New Testament, he is a peace-loving hippie telling people to turn their cheek, the other cheek and love your enemies. And you may wonder, which God am I going to get today? Another wrong conclusion is that pleasing this God means that you have to suffer. You have to sacrifice. And if you aren't giving up whatever you love, God is not happy with you. And I want you to, I want you to know this is a, um, every time that we have, have spoken this, this morning, I feel fire in the room because of this. And this is a lie people are believing. And it is dangerous. Third misconception we can get about God when we read scriptures wrong is that this God sanctifies the murder of innocent children and your kid might be next. Or if you're a kid reading this, you might be next. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the next slide here. Why do we need to interpret the Bible? When we do a plain reading of the story of Abraham and poor Isaac, here's what happens. We will misunderstand God. We will misunderstand how God wants us to live. And we will miss our purpose in life. You can, you, it doesn't have to be the story of Abraham and Isaac. It can be anything. If you misread the scriptures, you're going to misunderstand God and you're going to miss the purpose for your life. You will be frustrated your whole entire life because you'll know something's not right. Something's missing. When we get a wrong picture of what God is like, it affects our faith and it affects how we live in this world. And here's the big danger. Ultimately, we wonder if he's any good at all. And when the poop hits the fan, when the trials and the trouble comes into our life, it's hard to be faithful to a God we don't trust. We look elsewhere for our help, our rescue, and our meaning in life. It won't be found in God. And some of you are stuck in this right now. You're confused about God because of what you learned early in life about him. And you're hearing a preacher say, trust God. And you're feeling God's spirit say, I will provide for you. And it's hard to do knowing what you think you know about God. 
Are you with me? Okay. So today, I'm saying let's return to the scriptures with pure hearts, with fresh eyes. Let's read the scriptures accurately. Let's go beyond bumper sticker theology and see what kind of God he really is. Um, So the best tool for this, as we kind of open up our toolbox of interpretation tools, the best tool, I'm going to tell you over and over, is curiosity. Being curious about what God meant, how to live this out, what really happened during this time. And I want to tell you, if you've been in churches that shot you down because you asked hard questions, don't assume every church is like that. This church is not like that. My opinion, our opinion here as leadership is, if you're not asking questions, you're not paying attention. You should be asking questions. You should be looking at the scriptures and going, what does this mean? What does this mean? How does it apply to my life? That's where we're going to find our solid ground. So let's go to next one. Here we, here we go. We're going to look at five basic questions to ask of confusing Bible passages. Go to the next one here. All right, here's the questions. Here are the tools. The tools are being uh, framed into questions. Number one, when you read something that's confusing, you don't know how to make sense of it, ask this. What is the context of this story or passage? We're going to break that down in just a minute. Number two, what did it mean to the author and the original audience? Number three, what does this story mean to God? Number four, what does it mean to all humans everywhere? Because there is a universal component to the scriptures. And number five, what does this story mean for me in this moment? Now, here's the deal with these, with these tools. You can't just use them willy-nilly. You have to use them in the right order. If you start out with number five, you are going to be the next cult leader. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss the interpretation. You're going to miss the purpose of the scriptures. You're going to miss God's heart in it because you're going to be looking at your heart. Okay? Uh, There's so much good stuff in this. I wish we had another month for this. Okay, next, next slide there, Liam. Thank you. So let's get into the first question. What is the bigger context of this story or passage? Now let's go back to the story of Abraham. And the setting of this story is vital in understanding the intention of this story. Next slide. Okay, here we go. What's the bigger context of Abe's story? Now, let me, let me back up. Let me, this is Abe's story here. Let me back up and kind of give you a larger um, view of what's happened up till now. Okay? Previously on the life of Abraham. Abraham was an idolater living in a land of idolatry. He's not a Christian. He's not a believer. He's not a follower of this God. And if you believe that God doesn't speak to unbelievers, you're wrong. Here's an example. God speaks to Abraham and says, I have an offer for you. This is the cool part. I have an offer for you. Hear me out. And Abraham listens. And God says to Abraham, I will bless you so much that you will be a blessing to the whole earth. And Abraham's like, I like the sounds of that. Tell me more. Then he says, I will give you children and descendants so much that they become a nation. 
And Abraham's like, I like the sound of that. He says, I will give you a land and I will bless anyone who blesses you and I will curse anyone who, I will provide for you. And Abraham's like, I'm in, but I want to hear the catch. And the catch is this. God says, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. And Abraham says, I'm in. So he does. He follows God where he leads, and he leads him to a land that he's going to give him. But the only problem is somebody else lives there. Okay? And this is a land called Canaan. The people that live there are called Canaanites. These are not uh, your um, normal, nice, welcoming neighbors that you move in, and they bring over cookies and stuff. These are violent people. They're cruel people. Um, they are incestuous people. Um, they are extremely um, devoted to their gods, so much so that they will sacrifice their oldest firstborn child to the gods to please them, to keep them at bay, or to get the favor of the gods in their life. So you're, you're moving into a neighborhood where everybody's oldest child's already dead. Mm-hmm. This is the neighborhood that God has moved Abraham into. Now, let's go to, where are we at here? Oh, back one screen. I'm sorry, back up one more screen. So God brought Abraham to this land. And here's the deal. He's in this land for a long time, and he's got no kids. So the promise about having descendants seems kind of crazy. But he finally does. He's 100 years old when he has Isaac. That's awesome. His wife is 90 years old. That's awesome. Well, he doesn't have him very long, and the Lord says, I want you to sacrifice him. Are we up to speed on the story? Okay, now we're up to speed on the story. Does this help us understand the story? Uh, not at all. So we got to go to the next question. Question number two. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, here we are. I'm sorry, here we are. What did this story or passage mean to the person that wrote it and the original audience? And if you want to memorize something, okay, if you're just hankering to memorize a verse and we didn't get there today, memorize this. The Bible can't mean something for us today that it never meant to the original audience. Mm, okay. So let's go to the next slide here. Let's look at the writing. Who's the author of the book of Genesis? Moses is. Who is the audience? Here's the cool story. It's Abraham's descendants. These are the people that the story was written for. So here's the setting. 550 years after the story of Abraham offering his son up, these people get this story. Now let me give you a little bit of backstory there. Abraham had lived in Canaan for a while. He dies. Several generations go by. There's a famine, and they can no longer live there because they don't have food. So they move to Egypt. While they're in Egypt, they're enslaved. 400 years, they're enslaved. And God delivers them miraculously and says, I'm taking you back to the land that I promised your ancestors. I want you to follow me. I will provide for you. 
And as they're on this journey going back to the promised land that they've never been in, they're going back to this promised land, this is when God inspires Moses to write the book of Genesis. Okay, are you, are you tracking with me? So, hmm. next, next slide here. I love this. So what was Moses' intention with this story? So the Jews are returning to the place where Abraham's story took place, the promised land. Let me say this. Promised land is not all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) You're like, if I can just get the promises God gave me, ask Abraham about it. It, It's not a nice neighborhood, the promised land. The land itself is flowing with milk and honey, but the people are a problem. The people get on my nerves. The people scare me. So these Jews are going back to the promised land And they know it's been 400 years and these Canaanites are people of war. And these Jews are slaves. They don't know anything about fighting. They don't know anything about defending themselves. And God is saying, follow me, I will provide for you. So Moses wanted to record this story of Abraham to do this, to remind them that God was faithful to them and then teach them how to be faithful to God in this new land. He ends up giving them the laws. He ends up giving them the rules. He ends up giving the story of their ancestors. That this man called Abraham, let me tell you a story about his faith. He was used to a culture that believed this, but then God told him to live this way in this culture, and he could do it. You can too. So he's preparing, Moses is preparing this group of Jews to be able to move into this land and live for God. Let's go to the next story. I mean, the next number. Because we're still kind of fuzzy on what is the meaning of God calling Abraham to kill his son. So what did this story or passage mean to God? God had his reasons for including each story in the Bible And this is one. And if you ask most of the people today, they would be like, we could cut that one out because it sends a bad picture. (laughs) Twyla says, oh, wow. (laughs) Let's go to the next slide here. How do I know what God's intentions are? Some of you are like, "Uh, Brother Toby, you're pretty audacious to think you know what God's mind is. And I will say, I've, I've lived for God Almost 30 years. It's pretty simple. It's in here. If you want to know what God's mind is, it's it's in here. The catch is, this is still difficult to read. This is still difficult to understand. So let me give you some tips here. So number one, if you want to find out what this means and there's something complicated, like the story, We use what we do understand to help us understand the complicated parts. We use the simple parts to explain the complicated parts. We use the parts we do understand to explain the parts we don't understand. That'll make sense here in just a minute. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to do a keyword search of the whole scriptures on this story of Abraham. Look at some of the key words in there, and we're going to search them to see what God says about it. 
Now, here's the deal. If you Google this, you're going to get very frustrated and you're going to miss the point because you're going to get everybody's opinion who has access to the internet. We're trying to learn what God says on it and what's in scripture, not what some sixth grader in Nebraska who has access to the internet at school thinks, okay? So when we do a keyword search, we can do two things. You can do one, the old-fashioned way of, you know what this is? Concordance. It has every word in the Bible. And if you say, I'm gonna look up this word, you can look up and it shows you, lists you every verse that that word is used, okay? It's great. I like things that actually are digital and a little bit easier, so I go online to Bible programs, Bible apps, or commentaries. You can search at much, it's a little bit, little bit easier. So we're gonna do a word search here in just a second, a keyword search. Here's one bit of warning I need to say. Last one, do not read a verse don't read just a verse because you're going to miss the point because there is a context, a bigger context that we really have to understand in order to get the point that's being stated, okay? Uh, let's go to the next, here to the keywords. Here's some keywords. If we're going to try to understand this story of why Abraham uh, is sacrificing his son, we're going to look up murder, sacrifice, obedience, human sacrifice, and Abraham himself. So let's look at the next one, next slide here. What is God's opinion on murder? John 1 and 3 says that God saw Cain murdering his brother Abel. This is the very first murder. He saw that as evil. After the great flood, when the water subsided, God made a new law and he said, no murder. It's in Genesis 9. In the Old Testament, they had the laws. The laws forbid murder of any humans. That's Exodus 20. So it's easy to say, when we go through there, God is against murder. Uh, there's some of you that are like, I've read the Old Testament. It seems like there's a lot of times God is, is commanding murder. There's a lot of violence in the Old Testament. And I want to let you know, go to our church website. We have an Amazon book list. And we put three books on this morning that deal with the violence in the Old Testament and it's um, what looks like tension with Jesus' peace in the New Testament. And I'm encouraging you, if this is an issue for you, go look it up. There's lots of easy answers there. Um, let's go to the next one, sacrifices. What's God's opinion? <laughs> God would rather have thankfulness and mercy. How do you, how do you come about by that? Look up the verse, uh, look up the word, look at all the different times it's used, and here's some things that we come up with. Number one, the gen story in Genesis 3, a lot of people say that Genesis 3 is the first story of animal sacrifice, when God kills an animal to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. It's not the first story of sacrifice because it cost the humans nothing. This is the first story and the foundation of God's grace and mercy. He is the one who made the sacrifice, not the humans. This is the foundation of God showing his people that he is full of mercy and grace. This shows us he wants to provide us with the things we don't deserve in order to help us make it through the consequences that we do deserve. 
So make no mistake, you go through scripture, animal sacrifice, not God's idea. Even David and, uh, well, I'll be back up. The Old Testament laws do include guidance on sacrifice. But what we see is God accommodated a system of people who were so devoted to animal sacrifice, they were worshiping to, other, to idols. God said, I will accommodate your worship, but I want you to, to point that my way. And then later he does away with the idea of animal sacrifice. So one of the things that we do see is David, King David, and the prophet Isaiah both acknowledged that sacrifice by itself meant nothing. They said that God declared himself that he got nothing from animal sacrifice and he did not like the bloodshed. It's in Psalms 50 and Isaiah 1. God goes on to say that he would rather have a true heart-level devotion to God that leads people to stop doing wrong. That's what he wants. He said he would rather have a person commit to justice for the oppressed, to take in orphans, and care for widows and outsiders, those who can't care for themselves. And we know Jesus also said later that he would rather see someone be merciful than a sacrifice. So our conclusion on sacrifice is that God would rather have obedience than sacrifice. On obedience, we know that the prophet Samuel said God would rather you obey him instead of offering sacrifices. And here's the thing. Human sacrifice. What does God think about human sacrifice? 17 times in the Old Testament, God says it is a vile and evil act. Vile and evil act. What does God think about Abraham? It's very easy to see that God looks at Abraham and says, this man is righteous because of his faith. But do you see a dilemma that we've uncovered right here? Look at this. God is for obedience. He's against human sacrifice, yet he asked Abe to kill his son as a sign of obedience. Doesn't that seem like a catch-22? Next slide. And here it comes down to this. So why did God choose to include this story why did he inspire Moses to write this story in the Bible? He's revealing to the Jews that he is nothing like their neighbor's gods. Sometimes it's easier to explain what something is not like than to explain what it is like. And this whole story leads up to the point where Abraham is realizing, oh, you're not like the gods of our neighbor's. And Moses is wanting the Jews, as they're about to go into this land, to recognize your God is not like anything you're going to experience over there. Follow him. Second thing is that God was teaching his people to trust his ways in every situation and trial, even the most difficult circumstances. Fourth question. We're cruising through here. What does this story or passage mean for all humanity everywhere? Because the, the scriptures have a universal application if we do it the right way, okay? So what was God revealing that is applicable for everyone in all times and cultures? Next slide. 
Abraham's God is the only God. This is universal. Abraham's God is the only God, and he's calling us all to follow him. This God's ways are not like the ways of this world. You got to get that, Bible thumper. His ways are not like the ways of this world. You will be a foreigner in the land always. God will provide what we need. He's faithful to us. And he wants us to be faithful in this world because he wants to bless this world through us. The band can come up at this point as we go into number five. Because question number five. What does this story mean for me in this moment? So once we have all the information so far from our study, it's only then can we begin to look at this question. Only once we have a good understanding of what it meant to God and the original audience, the original author, we knew the context, only then can we look at this and go, Lord, what are you wanting me to take home from this story? So we start with meditating, thinking or wondering about it. And I encourage you, when you read a story in scripture, think about it all day. Just mull it over and be okay asking questions. God's not looking down at you for asking questions or not believing something the first time you read it. Talk about this story with other people of faith. That is the intention of how scripture is supposed to be read. When Jesus was correcting some people's misunderstanding of the scriptures, he didn't say, when you do your private Bible reading time, you're doing it wrong. No, no, no. He said, you have heard it said such and such, but I'm telling you such and such. And he's teaching them a right way to understand the scriptures. But he's not talking about them reading because they're only hearing it because they, a lot of people couldn't read back then. So they would read the scriptures in a group. That's the original way scripture was passed on and the understanding was passed on. So I'm encouraging you, get with other people and talk about these stories. And the last thing is pray. This is one of the, any book you read, you're not gonna get a chance to talk to the author. But with this one, you can, you can ask God, what in the world? <laughs> he can, he's big enough to handle that. What were you thinking? What's the real reason that this is happening in this story, God? Why, why did you ask this person to do that? And then let God speak to you. Let God speak to you. If you would, let's, let's stand. And I want you to walk with me in your mind here. Imagine with me, if you would. Abraham and Isaac on the mountain. The smoke is ascending from this ram that's burning on the altar. They have worshiped God. They walk down the mountain. There's the donkey. They go back into town. They go to a, follow me here, my imagination works this way. They go to a Canaanite coffee shop. They sit at a table and they're talking about the day. And as they're talking, they hear a man 
weeping in the corner booth. And they go over and they ask, is everything okay? And he says, no, everything's not okay. Today, we sacrificed my nine-year-old. Our crops weren't doing well, so we had to get the attention of the gods. My wife was sick, so we had to get the attention of the gods. Whatever situation was going on, we needed the gods to intervene and bless us. And we know that's the way that the gods respond. Can you imagine if Abraham was able to say, um, can I tell you about a God I started following not long ago? He led me to this land and we actually went up a mountain today and I was gonna sacrifice this young man right here. And the Lord told me not to because he didn't want it. He provided his own sacrifice. Can you imagine the questions that would be going in this man's mind? What kind of God provides his own sacrifice? Does he love you or something? Can you imagine Abraham saying, God sent me to this land because he is a God who wants to bless all people. That's a man with a mission. Can you imagine him saying to this man, God sent me here because he wants to show people that he provides. God sent me here because he wants to show people he loves your life. He wants you to live. He wants you to love things that he's given you in the right order. But he wants us to follow him. This is the God of our land also. This is the God who has called us into a land that is wicked, that is off-center, that has missed the mark when it comes to God. And he's saying, I have called my people to go into this land to bless it. I have called my people to go into this land and show them what I'm really like. So some of you are looking at this story, you're thinking, Lord, what's my takeaway today? And I want you to think about everything Abraham learned. I want you to think about everything even Isaac learned in this. And I want you to start by thanking God that he will provide. Thank God he said he would provide for our needs. Thank God that he said he does love, he does forgive, he does restore. He's just asking us to follow him. He's just asking us to follow him. If you would, let's worship. Let's thank him for what he's offered. Let's thank him for his blessings, for his goodness, for his mercy, his compassion. 
Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.